Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today I've got a lovely returning guest. His name is Paul Wilson. He's one of the few guys that I've actually had on my podcast that's been received really well in terms of how much the audience love him and his content. Previously, Paul, we discussed um, how to spice up your sex life. So if you're interested in that subject, then go to that episode. We've got that live and it's already out there. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about other stuff around orgasms and how to achieve more deeper orgasms and how to become more orgasmic. So really exciting stuff in today's session. So big warm welcome to you, Paul. Where's where's the drum roll, Lynn? Come on, (laughs) I want a drum roll now. It's my second appearance. Where's my bloody drum roll? Come on, (laughs) you're slacking. Sorry about that. Musical talents isn't one of my things, but it's, it's lovely to have you on. Uh, Paul is a therapist and mindset coach, and one of his um, ways of helping his audience and his clients is through hypnotherapy. And before we actually get into the meat and two bedger of the uh, topic that we're going to be delving into relating to orgasms today, Paul, I just thought it'd be nice for the audience to know your story and how you got to be doing what you're doing. Okay, that is a really good question. And it's my favorite subject because it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, right okay so uh where can we start long 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 ago in a galaxy far away no 25 years i spent working in a corporate world a company called the channel tunnel you may have heard of it it's the uh, organization that has two rail tunnels that connect the uk with the continent of europe and it runs kind of just outside of folkestone to just outside of calais in france And I was there for 25 years. The biggest bulk of that 25 years I spent as the emergency response manager. So I was working with uh, the emergency services, the military, local authorities on both sides of the channel, uh, doing weekly, monthly and annual exercises to improve our ability to deal with anything that went wrong in the system. So, for example, we'd run exercises about counterterrorism, floods, flags, explosions, uh, earthquakes, you name it, we kind of exercised it. And I really, really enjoyed that job. But, you know, 25 years in any one organization is a long time. That's a quarter of a century, you know, and... If you think that we live for, you know, men live for around about 75 years, that's a third of my life, pretty much, in one organisation. So I thought, well, you know what, it's time for change. I was 57 at the time, and I just thought, you know what, I've got to do something different. Now, ironically, just before I left, I had an accident. I got knocked off my bicycle on the way to work, and I broke broke, broke, (laughs) um, my arm just above and below my right elbow. Now, I'm right-handed. And I couldn't actually do anything. I couldn't type. I couldn't cycle, couldn't do anything. So I was signed off work for like six weeks. And this six weeks period of sort of free time, as it were, gave me the opportunity to think, do I want to stay? Do I want to go? I was losing enthusiasm for the job. And I knew that 
if I stayed, I'd probably make myself miserable and people around me miserable. But if I went, what was I going to do? Because photography was is, is my passion, is my hobby, and I love it. And I'd spoken to lots of professional photographers who'd been in the game for you know 20, 30, sometimes 40 years, and said, look, you know, I'm thinking of leaving my, my, my company and I want to become a photographer, get paid for it. And once they'd stopped laughing, yeah, <laughs> they went, no, no, don't do that. Because the problem is I'm, I'm holding my mobile phone up now. Everybody with a mobile phone considers themselves to be a photographer. And so the bottom literally has fallen out of the photography market in lots of respects. And people will work for free. And ironically, this phrase, working for exposure. So people will hire you and say, you know, listen, Paul, come and shoot this thing for us. You get lots of exposure. Well, listen, you know, exposure doesn't pay the bills. And so I consider what these guys said. And I thought, you know what, I, I better not do that because that's just going to make me turn my passion into a grind. And I don't really want to turn my photography because I've been taking photographs since I was 14 or 15. So, okay, right. Long story short, six weeks comes to an end. I'm back at work. You know, there's a mountain of uh, mail outside my office, wading my way through, getting my, trying to get the computer going, all that kind of stuff. And then the HR director walks past my office and goes, hi, Paul, how's the arm? And I don't know where this came from, but, you know, hi, Nick, the arm's fine. Have you got a minute? And he went, yeah, yeah, come around to my office. Went around to his office. Literally about two weeks later, on the exact date of my 25th anniversary, I was out. I'd taken this massive leap into the unknown, yeah? And I had no real clue what I was going to do. So 2018 was a real year of discovery for me. So I left on December the 1st, 2017. And 2018, I took on a personal trainer, lost a lot of fat, put on some muscle. I did a social dynamics course. I... I uh, did a 12-week stand-up comedy course in central London with a guy called Logan Murray. That was absolutely brilliant because to graduate from this course, you had to do a live gig, a five-minute set. Now, five minutes doesn't seem an awful lot, but I tell you what, when you've got to sit down and prep five minutes worth of material and making sure that it's funny, it's going to get people to laugh, it takes a lot of graph. So I developed this newfound respect for uh, stand-up comics who can do a show for like 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. So did that. And then the, the guy that was personal training me, uh, him and his wife were also hypnotherapists. And they said, look, Paul, we've got this thing this weekend, uh, like a one-day taster. Why don't you come along? Be a bit of a giggle. So I thought, you know, I've got nothing else planned. I'll do it. So I went along to the day. And uh, I worked with this lady who had a fear of kind of, you know, snakes and wriggly things. Now, in the UK, we've hardly got any snakes. They're very quiet, very shy. So we don't come across them. But we do come across, you know, worms and, you know, centipedes and stuff like that. So the end of the day, we got a result. The lady was kind of, you know, she was happy. I'd been showing her some pictures of snakes and things on my phone. And she hadn't kind of reacted to them at all. It was OK, but I'm thinking, mm, meh. But the very next day, which happened to be the Sunday, this lady and her family always went out for a walk Sunday morning in some local woods. And hubby loves to video the walk. So now I get sent this video of this lady walking through the woods with the kids running around and hubby doing chatting and videoing everything. And he goes, darling, you better take a detour. Look, there's a big worm in, on the ground there. And she goes, no, 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 it's all right. And very gently, she gets on her hands and knees and scoops this worm up in her two hands 
and carries it ever so carefully, um, plops it down on a piece of grass. Now, husband nearly drops his phone, launches a stream of expletives because he can't believe what I've just seen. And I'm going, bloody hell, I've got a superpower. Mm-hmm. So I went back to the people that had trained me, said, okay, who trained you? So I went to him and trained with him. I found out who trained him and went to train with him. And I went as far back up the ladder as I could. I bought loads and loads of books, loads and loads of courses. And I decided that's what I was going to do, become a hypnotherapist, because it was really enabled me to help people change massively within their lives. But what I found out was after about, I don't know, 9, 10, 11 months of doing this, was that I was only treating a very small part of the person. I was only helping them with one aspect. And quite often, there was an awful lot of other stuff that needed dealing with. So I thought, well, how can I do this? And then it hit me, I'll become a mindset coach. So I became a coach. I'd done some coaching courses in, in the corporate world. And I'd read loads of books on, you know, leadership and coaching and goal setting, all that kind of stuff. And I had the tools, additional tools of hypnosis, a whole range of other bits and pieces that I could use to help people. And so I became a mindset coach. And then I got myself qualified, when was it? I don't know, sometime last year as a healer. And I use those skills in my mindset coaching when I'm working with a client. I work with clients generally for about three months. I still do the hypnosis stuff on the side, but the hypnosis, the healing and the other tools are part of like the, the bespoke package that I offer to my clients. So that's how I got to where I am today, pretty much in a nutshell. <laughs> wow, that's brilliant. And uh, like you say, you know, on the back of discovering your own superpowers, so to speak, and talents and all these tools and techniques that you love to um, use to help people change their lives. It's so, such a rewarding thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I, the reason I do what I do is there's a moment when I'm working with a client, either hypnosis or with coaching, and they get this look on their face. And it's a look of realization that all the stuff that's been holding them back, all the baggage they've been carrying along, all the fears, all the dreads, all the scary stuff are suddenly gone. And they literally change. It's like a metamorphosis. The, the face changes color, the shoulders drop, their head rises. And the eyes become like saucers and like it's like laser beams coming out of them. And there's usually a massive big smile. Sometimes it's tears because they think, oh my God, it's sick me all this time, blah, blah, blah. But that's what I live for. That's why I do what I do to see that transformation and see people going from nowhere to somewhere to dropping all this stuff. You know, there's one lady that's not been able to get out of her house. And she's out now living a normal life. There's all kinds of things that I've helped people with. And I, I just love it. And it pays well, which is, a, you know, a nice sideline, but it's being able to affect these changes and help people move forward with their lives. That's why I do it. And that's why I love because all the time I spent in the corporate world for 25 years was in one way, shape or form, helping people. And so really, literally for the last 29, 30 years, that's what I've been doing. And I'm just now doing it on a much more personal level. Excellent. Love it. So, Going on to uh, talking about how to become more orgasmic then, what, what, are the, what are the things or issues do you find? I mean, I don't know whether you work, you work with men as well as women, but um, what do you find that are the underlying issues that, that lead to people not being able to either achieve orgasm or achieve it very easily? Well, one thing that is a major issue pretty much worldwide is 
we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about nookie. We don't talk about, you know, okay, when you're a 16 or 12 or 13 year old boy, you're obsessed with it. And with your mates, you're always talking about, oh, yeah, I've done this and done that. When you haven't done anything, yeah? But apart from that very young age, particularly for blokes, it's not something we talk about. Um, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday who lives in the States, and we were saying, why is it that you can walk past row after row after row of shops selling guns on full display, but you can't walk past a sex shop or a shop selling sex toys? Yeah, or adult videos. And think about some all the movies you watch on mainstream TV. You can see people getting stabbed, getting shot, getting their heads blown off, getting sawn in half. But it's very rare you actually get to see people naked or making love. And to me, this means the world is kind of turned upside down. We kind of glorify violence, but Mm. sex has to be put in a cupboard and it has to be hidden away because it's a dirty little thing. And this is so this is so wrong. And it leads people to being repressed, to not being able to express themselves, to being humiliated, to being hated. You know, it, it leads to all kinds of terrible things. And one of the big issues, I think, that the reason why people don't enjoy healthy sex lives is that they don't talk about it. Yeah. And you like, know, like you say, in, in as also I think, you know, pornography is you know, seen as a, a, a sleazy industry rather than, you know, and, and to a degree it's not based on obviously on reality and real relationships and how you can have healthy, strong, you know, loving long-term sexual relationships, is it? So that that is the other side of the coin, isn't it, relating to well, sex? Well, see, this is my point. Okay, in the porn industry, there's a lot of stuff that shouldn't be happening and that needs to be dealt with. So let's just put that to one side, yeah? And all the underage stuff and all the exploitation, that has to be dealt with, absolutely. But there are lots and lots of adult movie stars who are in that business because they want to be in that business and they enjoy it and they have fun and it's a way of expressing themselves. But the thing is, porn is fantasy. Mm. It's fantasy. And this is the big, big issue. We don't we don't use our fantasy. We don't express ourselves. It's all hidden behind closed doors, you know, and it shouldn't be. We should be able to sit down with our partner and go, you know what? I'd really love it if you dressed up as Superman or Wonder Woman or Catwoman, you know, or we could talk about this, that, or, you know, we could get some toys and stuff, you know. We don't talk about, you know, well, look, if you touch me here, that feels really, really nice. And well, in a lot not- of cases, yeah. sorry, go on. Oh, that's not, sorry to interrupt, that, that, that's not sort of depicted in romance movies, you know, that, that side of romance movies isn't explored, isn't it, is it, to show, you know, how that relationship develops and how they, you know, keep their passion and relationship alive and what they do in terms of like things like role play and what have you to enhance the sex life. If you think about it, it's fantasy as well. The Mills and Boons classic, you know, the, the knight on the shining armour comes and whisks off the dusky maiden away, and they make glorious love and all the rest of it. But it's it's very clean, it's very pure. And that is a fantasy as well, because a lot of us don't want to think about what it takes to make somebody feel really, really good. Oh, I don't want to talk about that because that's dirty, that's naughty. I shouldn't really, I shouldn't have to be thinking about that. I should just be able to have sex and, and get it done and over with and enjoy it as is. And so it's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of shame associated with this, particularly for women, because 
unfortunately, a lot of women have gone through some really horrible stuff when they were younger. And so, in a sense, the, the ability to enjoy sex and making love with their partner is kind of being squished because it brings back repressed memories. Yeah. Okay. But for a lot of people, it's just the fact that society says sex is dirty, sex is bad, sex, we shouldn't talk about it. Yeah. Even if you talk about red light districts, it's all kind of pushed into one area. And okay, the tourists can go down there because you can see some naked girls in the front windows, but respectable people don't go down there. Yeah. And we, we've got to put it on the edge of town. Mm. And it's ridiculous. I mean, if you take, you know, sex workers, they are castigated, they are not treated well, and they are kind of pushed into a corner. And that's wrong. It you is. Know, if it you is are wrong. a willing person, if you want to be in that business, you've not been brought, you're not a sex slave or anything like that, yeah? If you are someone who wants to be in that business, you should be able to apply your trade in total security, total safety, and be able to kind of, you know, do whatever it is you want to do. without fear of being persecuted and not pushed off to some dodgy car park at the end of town. Yeah, I I agree. You know, obviously there are people that voluntarily want to work in that industry, but others obviously on the other side of the coin that have been sex trafficked into that industry against their will. And there is a big difference between the two, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing you need to understand is there are lots and lots and lots of people who are in the industry because they want to be there. They're in the adult industry because they want to be there. They're doing burlesque because they want to be on the scene. They want to be stripping because it allows them to express themselves. There are sexual beings. They are creative beings. They want to get out there. They're not ashamed of anything. They've got nothing to hide. And they, you know, we crave human touch. Yeah. If you think of a baby when it's been born, what it reaches out and, you know, you, you, you put your finger on its hand and it will squeeze your hand. And babies want to be hugged. We want to be, we, we kept warm and kept close. This is how mums develop that bond with babies by holding them close. And as we grow older, this sense of connection is lost for a lot of people because we, you know, you've been married for a few years and kind of the romance goes out of it and you no longer hold hands when you're walking down the street. When you now picture when you first got together, you were holding hands all the bloody time. You couldn't let go of each other. Yeah. But over time it becomes routine and, oh yeah, there's the missus, there's the husband, you know, and if you're lucky, you maybe get sex once a week or once a fortnight or once a month because it becomes a chore. It does become fun and exciting and stimulating and also healing because I, I think of sex in a lot of regards is 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 healing is a you know it it's a powerful thing an orgasm is a tremendously powerful thing yeah i think it but can be really the basis not only for giving birth to obviously babies but you know once you're beyond that age or stage where you want other children or you're not in if you even if you're not interested in having children it can be the birth of a lot of creative ideas i think on the back of sexual energy you know really healthy sexual energy there's there's so much that's happened in my life where you know such a lot of creative ideas have come on the back of it not just for me but for my partner you know through those intimate passionate experiences yeah, absolutely. It is an incredibly creative thing. And I've spoken to a lot of people who say that that's how they get their kind of inspiration. I mean, a lot of people, people like Ernest Hemingway and a few others I could name, got their creativity through drinking themselves stupid. And that's how they're able to 
release the the creative genie out of the bottle yeah but you don't need to do that no using your sexual energy your sexual power is such a creative tool and it gets the imagination whirling this is where the fancy aspect comes in because you can think about any fantasy you want you can play any kind of role-playing game that you like and that's fine because you're consenting adults yeah you're behind closed doors it doesn't really matter what stories you tell each other. They can be the, you know, the 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 grimiest, the funniest, the the darkest, the lightest, the bluest, the greenest, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. If that's what turns you on, that's what turns you on. You know, and it's about letting go. It's about releasing those inner feelings that you have, those inner desires, those inner joys. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that because it is fantasy it's all up in your head and there's absolutely nothing with that and if you share that with your partner then it, it just really makes life go bang i mean why do you think you know what bdsm stands for yeah so why do you think there are so many bdsm clubs there's a there's a website called fet life f-e-t-l-i-f-e and it's full of people who are in who are what's called non-vanilla because vanilla people are the people that are not into fetishes in this respect. But uh, FetLife is full of people with all kinds of different fetishes and fantasies from foot worship on upwards, yeah? And the thing about it is it's controlled. It's all about consent. It's all about agreement. It's all about finding the right person. to. It's called play, yeah? You, you have yes. play sessions with people. And it's all about, it. it's not, you know, like you're being coerced or anything like that. It's all about consent. You've got one person has a fantasy or a fetish, another they find somebody else who has a similar or the same fetish or fantasy, or you have people who are quite happy to fulfill that person's fetish or fantasy. And that, why the hell not? If you want to dress up as a, a llama or a bear or a budgerigar, <laughs> and that's how you get your kicks, what does it matter? Yeah, it doesn't not, matter. If you want to be whipped, hard. if you want to be whipped or spanked or have nipple clamps put on or whatever, it, if you'd be dressed up in plastic or you know, whatever, polyester, who cares? Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. it's fantasy, it's play, it's a game. And too many of us don't see the sex as a game, as as a fun thing to do. Yeah. And so some people come, I mean. Guys have never come to me. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, over time, guys may start to open up a little bit. Even even kind of the routine work that I do in the hypnotherapy, I don't get a lot of guys coming to me because guys find it very difficult to open yes. up because we're taught to repress our thoughts and feelings. Apart from get angry, yeah, you can smack somebody, you know. Mm. But the rest is yeah. you're taught to not to cry, to hold it all in, not to express yourself. That is starting to change very, very, very slightly, but there's still a hell of a long way to go. Whereas with women, they're much more open. You know, I've got friends who are professional mistresses, uh, dominatrixes, what have you, and they, you know, are quite happy to talk openly about all kinds of things. And they are fully, fully open and expressive. And again, they do what they do because they, they love it. They really, really love it. And we need to be able to get back to that now. So people come to me because now I don't advertise what I do generally. It's kind of the first 
uh, interview where I've talked about it, but people come to me word of mouth and they'll go, Paul, look, you know, I hear you can help me. This is the embarrassing kind of exchange initially until they get comfortable. And they go, look, Paul, um, I manage your help. I go, okay, how can I help you? Well, I've heard that you can help with certain things. Yeah. What, what, what's the challenge? What, what issue you got? I can't have orgasms. Okay. Well, you've never had one or they don't last or it takes too long. And then we kind of go and figure out what the challenge is. So what and is now, the common, is there a sort of common theme as to what is the barrier uh, or could you give us a case study as yeah, to yeah, what, what yeah. the problem um, was for a particular client when they first came to you? One big one is shame and guilt. Even though the client has done nothing wrong, the fact that they have these thoughts, that they, these desires, these needs, and they're not being met, they feel guilty. <clears throat> Excuse me. They feel kind of ashamed. And so part of my role is to actually get them, like we've been talking about in this conversation, to understand that there's no guilt. There's no shame. If you want to be dressed up as a Bugs Bunny or cover yourself in strawberry jam and have somebody lick it off, that's fine. It doesn't matter. what, Because what goes on between you and your partner is between you and your partner. And end of story. Yeah. And where has so, that shame or guilt come from usually, you know, and what's the shame and because guilt? Because society represses these feelings. Society tells us that your life should be mills and boom, that you should be the, you know, lay down and think of England, he gets his own way and all the rest of it, and you are not supposed to have fun, you're not supposed to enjoy yourself, you're not supposed to have those things. Think of every movie that you've watched, every romance movie. When does the woman apart from, say, Fifty Shades of Grey, yeah? When does a woman get to enjoy herself in a way that, you know, isn't the traditional missionary position or cowboy, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why they because, you know, society says, no, you shouldn't be enjoying yourself. You shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. But you think of it, it's only recently in the past, what, 10, 15, 20 years that, you know, soccer mums have been having uh, toy parties where they've been, you know, working for Ann Summers and they they sort of like uh, sell sex toys. That's only in the past kind of 15, 20 years. So there's still a lot of repression there. And that's where the guilt and the shame comes from because they think they shouldn't be feeling like this. They think that they shouldn't really want to have this deep, incredible experience of a, a deep and meaningful orgasm. And, you know, that's wrong. So wrong. Does that come from parental, you know, upbringing or religious indoctrination or... What, what, where does that normally come from? It comes from society, pretty much. It comes from, you know, uh, parents not talking about sex openly. It comes from the church, you know, repressing sex. And I mean, it's only recently, and even again, it's still a bit dubious, that we've talked about same-sex. Same-sex marriage is only a recent thing. If you think about it, I'm 61. During my lifetime, it was illegal to be gay. Mm. I think the law changed about 1975 or something that ran about that. Yeah. Up until that time, men were sent to prison for being gay. I mean, how ridiculous, you know, same sex love has been there since day one. It's always been there. Like sex toys. Sex toys aren't a new invention. Sex no. toys are thousands of years old. You know, I've seen exhibits in museums of stuff that they've taken out of um, what you call them out of tombs and stuff. Yeah, they found buried with people. So none of this stuff is new, but we still 
want to repress things. And this is where the guilt and the shame comes from. You know, maybe they've had uh, parents who were kind of, you know, very stiff and stern and didn't show any love towards each other, didn't hold hands, weren't tactile. You know, I mean, they didn't never had the kind of like the, the, the conversation about sex apart from, well, don't get pregnant kind of thing. There's no kind of real exploration. Sex education in schools is about safe sex, be respectful and, you know, make babies. Yeah. And also, I think, you know, um, masturbation is obviously quite often seen as something bad, you know, from parental upbringings and attitudes, as well as um, not really spoken about much in sex education either. Oh, yeah. Masturbation. I mean, it's seen as an evil thing. It's seen as one of these things that you must never, ever, ever even contemplate doing, which is ludicrous. Because, again, if you I mean, you're not going to talk to a 12 year old boy, but that's what 12 year old boys do all the time. Pretty much once they their body changes, develops, and they're able to get an erection, then that's it. Yeah, they're away until, you know, they meet a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever, and then things move along. But, and I'm not a girl, so I don't know what it's like for girls here, but I imagine it's probably pretty much the same kind of deal. Yeah, your body kind of change. You start to feel these things, and you start to explore. It is perfectly natural. It is perfectly normal. And if you live alone, how the hell are you supposed to be able to enjoy yourself sexually if you're not allowed to masturbate? It's ridiculous. Mm. it really really is and thankfully you know people like Anne Summers have kind of opened the door to this and we now have Anne Summers shops in the high street albeit you know the front windows still show kind of slinky outfits yeah and the sex toys are right at the back in the corner (laughs) yeah Yeah? but that is still progress you know again during my lifetime sex toys were you know in Soho and in dodgy you know, back alley shops and things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe, you know, with supermarkets, these hyper supermarkets now that sell everything from electrical goods, I mean, supermarkets used to just sell food. Now they sell electrical goods, they sell insurance, even do banking and all things like that. And I'm just thinking that maybe one day they'll start selling sex toys, who knows? (laughs) Well, I mean, in the States, supermarkets sell guns. So hopefully they'll, you know, be selling sex toys soon as well. So anyway, getting back to the discussion, so I've got the client, we've got over the awkward bit. And then the next kind of question is, well, you know, how do you do it? And the first thing I need to do is to put the client at ease because there is no physical contact between me and the client. And it's all done remotely and they don't have to strip off. They don't have to show anything. It's all done in a very, uh, yeah, almost delicate, caring way. The client is fully covered in a, you know, like a, uh, not a blanket, that's too heavy, like a sheet or something, you know. And I use hypnosis to help in two stages, pretty much. First stage is to find out why, get to the root cause of that, you know, the, the guilt, the shame, or where it is that's repressing them. We deal with that and remove it. And then what I do is I use hypnosis to enable themselves to be able to have incredible orgasms. And what I do once they're there is I use what's called an anchor. Now, for those of you that don't know what an anchor is, it's um, it's a way of reminding your subconscious mind of the state that you're in. So let's say, for example, you want to get really, really hyped up. Let Anna, you'll see this. You're watching the start of a race, a 100-meter sprint, 
and they're all, all the the runners are kind of warming up and what have you, and then they get called to the um, the, the start, and they've got to put the other blocks. Yeah, you'll see each of the runners, the athletes, doing certain things. Yeah, maybe they shake their left foot first, then they shake their right hand, and then the left, you know, their right leg and their left hand. Or maybe they kind of kiss the cross around their neck, or they will do something. And basically, this is an anchor they've created to remind themselves to get them in the place where they can build up this this head of energy, this head of steam, ready to launch themselves off the blocks and into the race. That's what an anchor is. It's, it's, a, it's a trigger, yeah, but a good kind of trigger, not one of these triggers where you hear somebody says a word and you go back to all the bad days. But it's a positive trigger that we can link that state. So that when we want to go there again, you just you know click your fingers or make a sign with your hand or whatever it is, or use a word or a number to get you to where you want to be. And that's how I help the client. And then once they've gone through that, I then get them to use the trigger themselves to make sure that it's working. And if it doesn't work, we go back and we start again. But most of the time, it works first time, and we just kind of just reinforce it and rebuild it. And it's all done, you know, under hypnosis. So what sort of things do you use to get that anchor in it? You know, is it touching a certain part of the body? Is it a, a word that, that connects them to that state? What, what, what type of it, thing? It you... depends on the client. It really depends on the client. If they understand what anchors are, then it's a lot easier. And I can give them, you know, because the, the thing is, it can't be like, say, the snap of a finger because people snap their fingers all the time. And if I do this, it basically it weakens the anchor because the person's going to go, well, I'm standing in the supermarket and the guy next to me is doing this. I do not want to have an orgasm now. So <laughs> the trigger, the trigger gets weakened. So it has to be something that is unique. Yeah. So the way I do it, the way I usually say is, okay, this trick, this anchor is unique to you. And it might be a number. So I might say the number 27 over and over and over again, but I get the client to say it. So that number is the trigger. And it doesn't matter whether somebody outside says it, yeah? It has no effect. It's only when the client uses that trigger. But that's why I, I tend not to use physical triggers like snapping fingers or doing various things, you know, like making an O shape with your thumb and forefinger, because that's quite common. And what I don't want is I want the trigger to remain very, very strong and linked to the state and I don't want it to be kind of like worn off because it is, it's a very, very common thing. So for me, it's usually um, a word or a phrase or a number. Those are my favorites to use. Excellent. So once you actually, like you said, had that difficult conversation and it's, and it's, we've been revealed that somebody has got shame or guilt around a specific issue um, and you've helped them, get to the bottom of, of why that is and how do you get them to release that shame and guilt before sort of getting them to the stage where you can anchor in a, a state which helps them achieve orgasm? Um, it's part of the hypnosis process that they use and essentially it involves two steps. The first step is to go back and to, even though they're not guilty, they did nothing wrong, is to get that person to forgive themselves and to understand that there is no guilt and no shame on their part, on their younger self, yeah? And get them to, to understand that and to actually forgive themselves 
and to understand that they are now forgiven. And once we've done that, we then use a process whereby we can release all of the baggage that's associated with that. Because our minds are filled with millions and millions and millions of memories, most of them just milling around the back of the head, minding their own business, not causing us any problems whatsoever. But there are a few, like, you know, the time somebody said, you're useless, you're hopeless, you can't do this, you can't do that. And that can actually stop a person, say, starting a business or applying for a job or going for a promotion. So that has what has become something that's collected baggage, like a magnet, this little tiny memory has attracted all this negativity, which I call baggage, to itself. So it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, the client doesn't know it's there. All they know is they're trying to do this thing and there's something holding them back. So it's the same kind of process. I go back with the client to find out what this trigger is, what this memory is. And then we go through that process. So the forgiveness and the understanding that it wasn't their fault, they're you know, using the tools and resources they had at the time, and then releasing that baggage and letting it go so that the memory just goes back to being one of the millions of memories just floating around completely harmless. Excellent. Love it. Thank you so much, Paul, for sharing all your wisdom and insights around this fascinating topic and how you use hypnotherapy to help so many people. So on that note, would you share your best contact information for the benefit of our audience? Uh, yeah, okay. Paul Wilson Coaching on LinkedIn, uh, Paul Wilson Coaching on Facebook and also uh, Instagram and also Twitter. And my website is the easiest one to remember, www.ahappyhead.co.uk. <laughs> Excellent. And I will also put that information in the show notes for the benefit of the audience. Any final thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up the episode? Yeah, um, we're only here once. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is not a buy one, get one free. It's not a try before you buy or anything like that. This is it. So whatever you do in your life, enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, find something else to do. And that includes what happens behind closed doors. Have the conversations. Start figuring out ways that you can enjoy yourself more in all aspects of life, not just sexually. Yeah. And, you know, figure out what turns you on, figure out how to have these intense organs because everybody is capable unless, you know, there's a medical issue. Pretty much everybody is capable of these really intense experiences. And if you're not having them, you're missing out. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. And um, if you're not having them, you know, there's a, Plenty of people, including Paul, out, out there that can help in terms of being able to turn that around and help you experience that. So thank you once again, Paul, for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom and insights. My pleasure. Thank you. So it just leads me to say that true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.